Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Today is a very special day. We are in our series entitled Tighten the Knot. And we're right in the middle of our series, and we're just so grateful and honored to have you in our service. But today special because I asked a good friend of mine that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, who's been a friend to me and to our ministry, and uh, who just has an exciting journey that God has him on and how God is using him and his ministry, but yet is a gifted communicator, and he's been a pastor, he's been a worship leader, now he's leading Foster the Bay. And I've asked him to come and just kind of in the middle of our series, just kind of teach to us and help us this morning. And so I would hope you would just put your hands together and just welcome Phil Patterson to the platform as he just speaks to us this morning. We're honored and have you. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Well, hey, good morning, Southridge Church. Um, hey, my name is Philip Patterson, as Pastor Micaiah said, and um, the hat that I wear these days is I lead a, um, an organization, a, a ministry that's called Foster the Bay, and uh, Pastor Micaiah actually encouraged me to bring some stuff and actually put it on your chairs. I'm not here to actually to wear that hat and to talk about Foster the Bay today, but we, Pastor Micaiah said I want to make sure that if our folks are interested that they, they know how to take a next step. And so at Foster the Bay, what we do is we help churches raise up foster families and support friends. There are more kids entering into foster care today in our cities than there are homes that are ready to care for them. And so which means there are these kids that have been abused or neglected that are in deep need for love and care and a place to to heal and a place to have a hope for their future. And we believe that is the the place where the church should step in. And so we've just seen a whole bunch of churches get involved. In fact, I just want to take a moment to honor you. Southridge Church was one of our first churches to give really generously towards the movement of Foster the Bay. And because of your generosity, uh, we have seen actually about 120 kids over the last couple of years, 120 kids placed into homes. Homes where they've been able to experience healing and hope, um, 120 uh, kids in foster homes. So I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, as you give here at Southridge, I want you to know that your giving is directly linked to the life of vulnerable children in this city. So be encouraged by that, that as you give, you can know that your, 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 your funds are actually being used towards making a difference in what I, I believe is the most vulnerable population in the Bay Area. Uh, and and This is just the beginning. We're going to see what I believe are hundreds and hundreds of kids placed into loving Foster the Bay home. So if you're interested in any uh, way, learning more about how you might be involved either as becoming a foster parent yourself or supporting somebody who is a foster family, um, there is a, a next step card. Here's the deal. If you fill that out today and you drop that in a bucket and you have my word that we will not drop a foster kid off to your house this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all, we're, all we're going to do is we're going to send you an email, and it's going to have a link where you can RSVP for an informational meeting. We have them coming up um, throughout the fall, and we'd love to be able to invite you where you can actually learn more about that. Does that sound good? Okay, but like I said, I'm not here specifically to talk about what we do with Foster the Bay. I'm here to talk about um, marriages, and I'm here to talk about something that I think is at the bedrock uh, of our marriages. Um, and in particular, I'm here to talk about something uh, called forgiveness. Um, this is the one of the most critical components for every single marriage. And uh, like I said, this is uh, something that is both foundational. And, and built it. To, to, to do that, I want to talk, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I want to share with you from the book of Hosea. Um, and I want to tell you why I picked out this message or this uh, story in particular. Um, I don't know most of you. I know I know a few of you. I've met a couple of you here this morning. Um, I don't know you, but I do know about you. I do know a couple of things about you. 
There is some common denominators that, that unite every single one of us in this room. Uh, and one of those common denominators is that every one of us makes some mistakes sometimes, right? Every one of us needs a do-over sometimes. Um, can I share with you one of my do-over moments? One of my mistakes? Um, so recently, so I've been, I've been a pastor at a, at a church uh, here in San Jose for uh, the last few years. And, and recently I was, I was pastoring a church here in South San Jose. And we were moving locations. We were moving from one location to another, just like you guys did recently. Um, but for us, we were moving into a, a high school. And so as we moved into the high school... The day before we, we like launched in this new location, we brought our whole team out and we set everything up, like all the pipe and drape and all the lights and everything. We just made sure everything was functioning properly. We wanted to make sure that we were ready for our guests the next day. So we brought our whole team out. We set everything up the day ahead of time. And it was August 13th. And I know that because it was my wife's birthday. All right? And you're thinking, oh, he forgot his wife's birthday. That's chump change. That's nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. All right. <laughs> so it was August 13th. I remember that because I was, I was so excited. I was going to take my wife out on a date that night to celebrate her birthday after we were done setting up. And so as soon as we were finished, I, I bolted out to the parking lot and I jumped into the U-Haul truck uh, that we had been using that day. And I tore off through the parking lot. And my mind in that moment was at home with my wife, picking her up, we were going to go out. My mind was there. Unfortunately, my mind was not in the cab of the U-Haul truck that I was driving in a parking lot that was filled with solar panels, uh, a solar panel overhang. And so as I was tearing through the parking lot, I wasn't paying attention. I forgot about the, the high clearance that I had as I was driving, and I clipped one of the horizontal beams, and the, the, the overhang twisted, and before I knew it, solar panels were crashing down around me. Tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> uh, that was the first day, the first experience with the, with the high school we were meeting. So as I'm standing out there in this parking lot with the school principal, with PG&E, with firefighters, all I could think of in that moment was I thought, oh gosh, if I could just go back a few minutes, if I could just go back, like rewind just a little bit and have a do-over. But honestly, as painful as that was right there, like that pales in comparison to some other mistakes that I've made in my life. That's nothing in comparison to some other things that I've done in my life. In fact, when I look at that picture, um, that's, a, that's a good depiction of what my life has looked like at certain times, in certain seasons. Do you know why firefighters had to be on the scene that day? Because there were live wires strewn about. And so if you got too close, you'd get hurt. And again, it was kind of the same with my life. Is not only was I kind of a mess inside, I was broken. But if you got too close to me, I'd hurt you as well. Um, there were seasons of my life when I centered my heart and my affections and my time and my, my whole being on these things that I thought would give me a sense of self-worth, a sense of meaning, happiness, these things that I ran after, these things that, were, that are other than God, these things that I, that I idolized in my life, that I ran after, that I thought would make me happy, left me empty, left me used, and left me absolutely broken. It even led me to a point where I was so idolizing, running after these other things with my whole heart. I even got to the point where I 
broke my marriage vows and I was unfaithful to my wife. My marriage came crashing down around me. And in those moments, in those, those seasons, if you were to tell me, uh, hey, Phil, like, God can heal this. Like, there is, there, there can be wholeness again. He can fix what you've, what you've broken. I would have said, no, there's, there's absolutely no way. My life looked like that picture. There's no way that he can undo the damage that I have done. There's no way that he can bring healing to, to what I have broken. If somebody were to stand up on a stage and say, and read from the scriptures and say, um, God can make all things new. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye, like he does in the book of Revelation. I would have said, not for me. For other people, yeah, but there's no way he could do that. And like I said, there is a, there's probably a common denominator among every one of us. We've all made some mistakes. Maybe you've not made as big of mistakes as I have. I made some big ones. But every one of us have made some mistakes. And you might be here today, and you might be thinking what, I'm think, what I thought before to say, it's, it, the damage is too great. I've made too many mistakes. If that's you here today, I want you to know forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible for you as an individual. I don't know what your marriage is going through. If, if, you're, if you're married or your relationships are what you're wrestling with. But I can tell you that not only is it possible for you to have peace with God. But it's also possible for you to have peace within your marriage. And in your relationships. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you today through a story from the scriptures. It's in the book of Hosea. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there with me today. If you don't have a Bible, no worries at all because uh, the scriptures are going to be up here on the screen and you can just follow along here. You can track. Um, But here's the deal. Lean in today because this story that I'm about to tell you is probably the most beautiful love story in in all of the world, in all of history. It's unbelievable. It's a story of true love, of betrayal, of forgiveness, of sacrifice, of redemption, of rescue. And again, I, I believe that this story, it's, 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 this story has changed my life. And I think it has the opportunity to change yours and your marriages as well. So go with me here to the book of Hosea. Let me give you some context as we jump in. Hosea was a prophet. Okay? And a prophet is simply a, a man or a woman that was empowered by God to, to um, deliver a message to a people. And so uh, it, it's a message about God's character or God's heart or God's plan. Okay? Um, more often than not, when a prophet actually delivered that message to a people, he simply did it through words or she simply did it through words. So they'd write down a, a letter or a book or they would actually give a sermon like I'm giving now. They would give it through the words. But on occasion... God would get creative, and he would, he would communicate a message through a picture um, given through the prophet. And so this is exactly what happens here in the story of Hosea. So Hosea chapter 1, we'll start in verse 2. It says this, When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel, God's people, has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And so Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblain. So, you heard that right. God, God's first task to Hosea as a prophet is he says, I want you to go and marry a hooker. I can just imagine what uh, Hosea's response must have been uh, in that moment, thinking, wait, uh, I'm new to all of this. 
I must not have heard you right. Give it to me one more time. That's not what he... But God says, no, 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 you heard me right. He says, Hosea, you and I both are going to give our hearts to a people who will be unfaithful to us. And then we're going to spend our time and our energy and our resources and our love like pursuing those people, running after them, seeking after them. God says, no, 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 Jose, you heard me right. I too am my husband whose wife is unfaithful to him. Now, there's a couple things that we need to see out of that. First, it seems as if God wants us to know that our relationship with him was meant to be like a marriage. Uh, and that, that's really significant because apparently the other metaphors that like describe our relationship with God in the Bible apparently just don't quite go deep enough. Like, um, you know, the way that a king relates to his subjects or the way that a shepherd relates to the sheep or the way that a father relates to the son. All of those are really important metaphors and pictures that God wants us to see. There are elements of those that, that help us to understand what relationship God wanted with us. But apparently they don't quite, quite go deep enough. Because there's nothing deeper than a marriage relationship. There's nothing more intimate than a marriage relationship. Think about that for a minute. I mean, it's, you can hide stuff about who you are from your coworkers, right? That's not that, that hard to do. You can hide stuff about who you are from your friends. We can sometimes even hide stuff about who you are from ourselves. But the thing is, I can tell you, as a man who's been married for almost 15 years, your wife's going to see it. Right? There's nothing on this planet more intimate than a marriage relationship. And see, that's, that's the beauty and the power of marriage. Is, is that it is so intimate. Psychologists across the board will tell you that the, deep, that the deepest and most fundamental desire of every human being, your most deepest and, and fundamental desire, is to be fully known for who you are, and yet still loved. Again, I don't know you, but I know something about you, and that is your deepest desire as a human being, is for somebody to fully know who you are, the, the, the ins and the outs, and yet still love you and accept you. And that's the beauty and the power of a marriage. It's because your spouse sees you when you're on and then when you let your guard down. So you're on at church right now. But when you go home, your wife or your husband sees you on Sunday afternoons when you're, when you're off. Right? Your, your, your spouse sees what you look like when you wake up in the morning. Right? They know well the scent of your morning breath. Right? And it's not great. Your, your wife, your husband, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly. They know everything about you. And yet, in a healthy, thriving marriage, they, they still love you and accept you. They see the best of you. They see the worst of you. So do you see what, what God is getting at here? When he says that our relationship was meant to be like a marriage. God's saying, like, I know everything about you. You can't hide anything from me. I've seen you at your best and I've seen you at your worst. You don't surprise me. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and yet, I love you. How amazing is that? And yet, at the same time, we see something else here. That our relationship with God was not just meant to be like a marriage, our relationship with God apparently is like a broken marriage. And this story, every time I read this story, it just humbles me into the dirt. Because the fact is, more often than not, if I'm honest with you, 
Like, I just don't take my sin that seriously. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think that this story, like, helps me to understand that God's heartbreak over my sin is way more than I, than I often will dare to believe. Anybody else? Again, think about the other metaphors we, we see in the scriptures and contrast that with what God is saying here with marriage. Again, when a, when a citizen breaks the laws of a king, right, a kingdom, the king is going to be bothered by that. He'll be frustrated. He'll be, he'll be annoyed because that's not conducive to a, to a well-functioning society, right? But the king's going to deal with it and not lose any sleep over that. That doesn't bother him that much. If a sheep runs away from a shepherd, like that's, that's annoying, like frustrating, but, but when you think about it, like the shepherd at some point is going to think, well, there's a bunch of dumb, mindless animals. Like that's what they do, right? They're sheep. Um, when a, even when a son rebels against his father, like, again, as a, as, a, as a dad of four, I can say, like, it's, that's discouraging. I get upset. But at some point, you just think, well, that's what kids do is they test their boundaries. And, and that, that's why I'm here is to help kind of raise them up in the way that they should go. You see, but then look at this story. When, a, when the person that you love most in all of the world runs into the arms of another lover, leaves you to go and find that happiness and that pleasure and that joy and that companionship in, in, a, in a lesser lover, in another person. There's no, there, that's different, isn't it? There's no pain in the world like that. And that's why it breaks my heart is because like, I've seen that. I've been the cause of that. I've looked into the eyes of somebody who's experienced that. And that might have been nine, ten years ago. But what I feel like God is telling me here is like, Phil, don't you understand? Like you, you were so flippant and so light about your sin often, but don't you see that that pain that you brought to your wife, like that's, that's the pain that I feel because of your sin. Like my, my, my heart breaks over this. He, he, he says again, he says, you've acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. He, God's saying, you replaced me in your life. You're running after these lesser lovers, whether it be your career or your relationships or sex or body image or money, whatever it might be. You're running after these lesser lovers and they will never, ever satisfy you. They'll leave you empty and used and abused and defiled. They will not satisfy and it's breaking my heart. If I haven't offended you yet, let me just say this. I'll change that right now. I just finished reading through the book of Ezekiel. I'm reading through the Old Testament in my quiet times in the morning. I came across this place in Ezekiel. It actually says, it says that prostitution actually isn't a good description of what we've done in our relationship with God. He said, because at least prostitutes get paid. He said, at least prostitutes get something at the end of the night. We're the ones that pay. I know this isn't easy to hear. And frankly, it's not a whole lot of fun to say. But the thing is, we'll never under, you're never going to appreciate the um, unbelievably good news that I'm about to share with you unless you first understand the bad. You would never appreciate somebody coming into your house in the middle of the night and grabbing you in your bed and dragging you out of your house if you didn't first understand that your house is on fire. And for some of us, our house is on fire. So God is saying, your unfaithfulness is like you've run after these lesser lovers. Let's look and see how God responds to our unfaithfulness. This is what he says in chapter 2, verse 14. 
He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and I'll bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyard and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Now, if the person that you love most in all of the world betrays you, like runs after you, or runs, excuse me, runs away from you, runs into the arms of another lover and have a whole bunch of kids with someone else, right? And rejects you over and over and over again. What is the natural response? What is the proper response to that? Like anger, right? Revenge, divorce. But what is God's response to us? He says, I want, I want to lead her away into a place, a quiet place where we can get alone. He says, I'm going to allure and bring her into the wilderness. In other words, I'm going to take her out somewhere out where we can be alone to talk. I want to bring her away from the party and out into the garden where where she and I can have a heart-to-heart, a one-on-one conversation. Now, here's the deal. For some of us, if we think that God got us, you know, this idea of God getting us alone, one-on-one to talk, having a face-to-face, that's terrifying. Because for some of us, we think, man, if God got me alone, I'm just afraid he's going to yell at me. I'm afraid he's just going to get after me and punish me. He's going to give me the cold shoulder, maybe for all of the the, the mistakes that I've made, all the ways that I've disobeyed him. But look at what he says here. He says, no, I I want to get to you. He says, I want to speak tenderly to you. He says, I want to speak tenderly to you and bless you. And he says, not only am I going to speak tenderly to you and bless you, he says, but I'm going to take those places that you're so ashamed of and I'm going to redeem them. He says this, he says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Well, what in the world does that mean? The valley of Achor was the setting for God's people's like big defeats. Like their first big sin against God took place in the valley of Achor, the nation of Israel. The valley of Achor was their first big place of shame and sin. And God says, he says, I'm going to take the valley of Achor and I'm going to turn it into a door of hope. In other words, I'm going to redeem that experience. So now when you think back about that place of defeat, you're no longer going to just think about all of the mistakes that you made and all of the shame that came along with it. He says, I'm going to take that place. And now when you, when you think back about that time, you're going to think about my faithfulness to you. You're going to think about the grace that I've poured out on you. You're going to think about my redemption. You're going to think about how even when you were at your lowest and your darkest time, I was with you. I'm going to take the valley of Acorn. and I'm going to turn it into a door of hope. The things that I shared with you a few minutes ago from my own marriage and my own journey, uh, I, don't, I don't share that proudly. I don't share that lightly. In fact, if I could go back and God would give me a do-over, if he would let me rewind, I would change it in a heartbeat. I'd go back and I'd take back my actions in a heartbeat if God would let me. But at the same time, God has taken those places of my greatest defeat, my greatest shame, and he has transformed those experiences He's, he's, he's like flexed his muscles and shown that he can do it, show, shown what he can do. Basically, he has taken those broken pieces and he's held them up as a big trophy of grace. He's transformed my marriage through it. My marriage is night and day to what it was 10 years ago. 
he's, he's enabled me to, to, to see what forgiveness actually is. That, 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 that grace is, is real. That grace is not just something we sing about on a Sunday morning. Grace is not some theological construct or forgiveness is not just some like ink on a page on the Bible. It's real and it can change you. He's shown me that through that experience. He's changed my marriage through it. He's helped me to walk with countless other men that have gone through similar things. I've, I've talked to so many guys who have walked through these same things and I've helped them confess their sin to their wives. I've seen marriages restored through this. I go back and I change it in a heartbeat if God would let me. But at the same time, he has taken my place of greatest defeat and he has redeemed it and brought, made it into a door of hope for my life, my marriage, and for many, many other people. And if he's done it for me, I'm here to tell you today, he can do it for you too. He can redeem that place of greatest defeat in your life. He says, I want to get you alone. He says, I want to speak tenderly to you. I'm not just going to yell at you. He said, I'm going to bless you. He said, I'm going to take, I'm going to redeem those places of greatest defeat. And then he says this, and he says, and then I want to betroth you to me. I want to marry you, he says. In fact, he says it three times. He says, I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Three times he says, I'm going to marry you. I want to marry you. I want to marry you. And then he says, now let me show you what this is going to look like. And then we, we, we see it in the life and the story of Hosea. And we pick it up in chapter 3. And this is, what, this is what happens. And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. All right, let me fill you in what's happened thus far in the story. So Hosea again has married this prostitute named Gomer. All right, and she immediately starts sleeping around with other guys. Um, she's, she's got three kids, at least, that we know of. One of which, at least, we know was not Hosea's because, because Hosea actually names the child not mine. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's actually what he names the kid. And then it, then it gets worse. So she, Gomer actually leaves Hosea, runs out on him, and starts living with another guy. And we know that the guy from the story doesn't take care of her. He, he is uh, abusive to her. He uses her. He's not providing for her needs. Uh, and then things go from bad to worse, and she starts to get passed around. Probably pimped out. And then things hit rock bottom. And where we pick up the story right here where I just read to you, she is now actually being sold off as a slave. Most scholars would tell you, most likely as a sex slave. Scholars will tell you that she was most likely being sold off and probably would have been standing in front of a brothel, probably stripped naked so that the buyers could see what they'd be purchasing. And I just can't imagine this scenario, this scene, any, any happening without just Gomer being in tears. I can just imagine she's probably weeping in this moment, understanding this is the lowest, most degrading moment of her life. These are the, all of her decisions leading up to this point has brought her to this moment as she's standing on this auction block in front of a brothel. Just imagine she's just weeping at this moment. Probably with her eyes closed, just trying to block out the scene in any way that she can. And she hears men starting to bid for her. She hears five shekels, seven shekels, eight shekels, like countering And then as they're bidding for her, she's shocked as she hears a voice from her past 
the, a voice that she never would have expected to hear in that moment. She hears Hosea, her husband's voice, cry out from the back, 10 shekels. Somebody counters 12 shekels, and then 13 shekels, and then Hosea counts 15 shekels. The problem, though, is at this point, somebody else counters, and Hosea is out of money. And so Hosea says, I'll, I'll, sell, I'll sell what I need to. Like, take my wine, take my grain, take my barley. He sells whatever he needs to. He says, I'll do whatever it takes. And it works. He buys his wife back. And you can tell from the text what happens. He goes up to where she is, and she, he restores her dignity. He covers her nakedness. He leads her away. Can you imagine what would have been going through Gomer's mind in that moment? I can just imagine she would have, she would think, why is he doing this? Why is he here? After all that I've done, why is he here? Why is he the one paying when I'm the one that's made all of the mistakes? And then she probably, it probably hit her. She probably thought, oh, I know. Now he's got me. Now I'm a slave. Now he can finally get back at me for all of the things that I've done. Now it can be under his thumb. He can tyrannize me. But Hosea says, oh no, Gomer. Don't you see? He says, I didn't buy a slave. I redeemed a wife. He says, Gomer, I want you to come back to home with me. I want to enter back into a covenant relationship with you. I'm I'm not going to go after other women. I don't want you to go after other men anymore. No more sharing. I'm going to give you my whole heart. Would you give me yours? And friends, that offer stands available for you today as well. That invitation is for you. In fact, do you know what the name Hosea actually means? It means salvation. Do you know what the the Greek form of Hosea is? So the name Hosea, but in the Greek, do you know what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The fact is, we too have stood on that auction block. Our decisions and our mistakes, if we're honest, have led us up to this point where we, it's led us into slavery. And at the cross, Jesus paid everything. He said, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes to buy them back, to redeem them to buy them back out of slavery and back into relationship with me. The offer stands available for you today. For some of you, this is the first time you're hearing that. I want you to know that I'm saying this on the authority of the scriptures. God stands available with salvation and forgiveness for you today. Regardless of what you've done in the past, it's available for you today. All you have to do is say yes. You know, the, the, the way that the story ends, it just stops there. That bothered me. Like, what in the heck? Like, why don't we get to hear like some big like, you know, running to the airport and embracing or like kind of moment like you see in the movies. You don't get to see that in the story. It just abruptly stops. And the more that I think about it, the more that that makes sense to me. Because the fact is just because Jesus has done all that he did and he, do, he, he went to the cross and he took this, our sins upon him and he paid our debt and he rose again from the dead just because he did all of those things doesn't automatically mean that we're going to enter back into that relationship with him. We don't know if Gomer said yes to Hosea or if she walked away. The offer was made available to her. She could have walked away. And friends, the same is true for you. 
The offer stands available for you today, but God will not force it upon you. It's an invitation, and you need to say yes. Or you can say no. He gives you the choice. I hope that if this is the first time you're hearing this today, or that maybe the first time that it's really kind of piercing your heart, that today you will say yes. Not one more day will go by before you say yes to the forgiveness that he's, available for you, that he's made available for you today. He can wash your sins clean, wash the mistakes clean, and he can redeem your places of greatest defeat. For others of you, you've heard this over and over again. You've heard this message, and for you're, you're, having, you're having trouble believing it. There are some days where you just have a hard time believing that God could still love you and accept you. I've been there. I remember standing, and there are times in my sin, I remember standing and here, this, in church one day, and I heard somebody from the, from the platform say, John 3, 17, and he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I remember just falling on my knees and weeping. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of truth from the scriptures. I remember there were seasons in my life when I would, I would, I would say certain scriptures. I'd like preach it to my soul day after day after day because I just had a hard time believing that he could still love a guy like me. I would say Psalm 103, which is David preaching to his soul. He says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul, believe it. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Don't forget, he says, all that God has done for you. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He said the Lord works righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. He says the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Listen, he does not treat us as our sins deserve nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. That's God's message to you today. If you've heard this a thousand times over, believe it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for what you're doing through this church. I thank you, God, for a people, God, that are, that are running hard after you, God. But in the midst of that, we will continue to fall. We will continue to make mistakes. God, I thank you for your grace that does not uh, run out. God, I thank you so much for what you have shown to us through this story, Lord, that even when we go to these low and these dark places, God, that you can bring redemption, that you offer salvation. I pray, Lord, if there is someone here today, Lord, that uh, is, is needing to hear that and to receive that today, that forgiveness, Lord, that right now he, she would say yes to you. If that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to extend that invitation. I want to give space right now here just for a minute or two to be able to, to give you an opportunity to say yes. You don't need to say certain magic words. This is not witchcraft. You don't need to say this is not some mantra that you need to, 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 to some spell you need to say. This is simply you tell from God from your heart to his. Just tell him from your heart to his. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I know that I've run after things other than you and these things continue to leave me wanting. Give him your life. Again, he stands here with the invitation where he says, I'm giving you my whole heart. Would you give me yours? Give him your whole heart. Say, God, I, I, I want you to be in control of my life from this day forward.